passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Jericho... Restraining Darby Allen by by hog tying his wrist. Have you ever seen this ever? Darby Allen with a line saw with his hands tied behind his back. And then a jump, then a, a drop kick. Darby, what are you gonna do? What are you doing? God. Jericho's head bashed off the, the ropeway. Darby, I cannot believe this. How did he describe what this kid's done? This is amazing. Fans here are in awe here in Philadelphia. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock alongside Wei Ting here on this Wednesday night as we are halfway through the month of October. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Yourself? I'm doing spectacular. Okay. Cool. Why? Tremendous. Fantastic. How, how, has, how has the new schedule been for you? Have you been gotten used to watching wrestling on Wednesdays? I'm still adjusting. There's just, it, it's just, there's so much stuff. Like Tuesday is typically now a night that in theory, like we don't have to record a show on Tuesday night, although this week we did, but there's still lots of stuff. So oh, yeah. I don't know how much it's changed. It's like the nights I have free, like I used to have several nights of the week that I could have just clear. I could make plans. I could do things. Those are down to like, it's like Thursday night. That that's pretty much my life. Is like going out on a Thursday night is pretty much what I'm down to at this point. Oh yeah, likewise. I mean, I kind of did the calculation, and I, I guess I just came to the realization that with the addition of AEW and now NWA Power, you know, for many people and for myself, like it's a show I I, I really enjoyed again this week. For me, that's become must watch. That's an additional hour. You have AEW Dark, which I'll probably always want to check out. I mean, that alone is four hours plus an extra hour of NXT. So that's five extra hours, um, and you know, God knows what else. I I gotta fit into Total Divas, of course. So you're you know, a madman. Yeah, like God bless you that you can fit Total Divas on top of everything. I enjoy it. It's still a, a watch I, I do with my girlfriend uh, once a week. And oh my God, this they're they're knee deep in the uh, Corey Graves uh, Carmella uh, drama, following um, Corey Graves' wife tweeting about. The relationship is the wife is is his ex wife featured in the series? No, just just by way of tweet. You know, you see their reaction oh. to like uh, the Instagram post, of course, that I'm sure a lot of people by this point know about. Um, so yeah, that you get to see some of that unfold. Um, anyway, but yeah, it's 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 a lot of extra content that we're just trying to fit in here. But um, at the very least, I have to say it's all good wrestling. You know, like all the additional. Is it all hours. good? Is every single hour that you watch every week great stuff? Well, I, I don't mean the stuff that we used to watch. I mean the stuff that we're adding to our schedule. The new stuff. Okay. The new stuff is all good. Like if we were only watching like Raw and SmackDown, it would feel very different. But everything else that, that's been added to it, that's the good stuff. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 definitely a, a lot of of you know quality stuff that that we're getting. I would say pretty much across the board, with the exception of some. Um, yeah, it's just trying to uh, fit all of this in. But uh, did you want to chat about uh, power a little later on towards yeah. the end of the show? Okay, okay, because yeah. I I watched it as well. But uh, how should we start? Where where do you want to go first? Why do you want to start with dynamite? Uh, well, before that, why don't we talk about a couple contests that we have going on? Uh, the first of which is, of course, our weekly draw for a T-shirt to any member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, which is our Patreon, which is where you can get. We just released our latest MCU review, Spider-Man Homecoming. So if you're a subscriber, you can download that on your feeds right at this second. And then on Fridays, of course, Friday night, it's Rewind to SmackDown as we continue to see what the first edition of the post-draft SmackDown looks like. So uh, the Bruce Pritchard SmackDown, we get to see what, what that looks like. So uh, if you're a subscriber, you can get that. So, but but before uh, we do that, we draw a, a winner every single week here from the Post Wrestling Cafe for a free T-shirt. So, John, would you like to do the honors? Uh, what those what do those honors entail? Spinning the wheel, making okay. a deal. Okay, I'm spinning the wheel. I, I've got my hands on the tumbler. We are going through all of the names, all cafe members eligible every week in this draw. Way has selected our winner, and that person's name, none other than. Congratulations to Christopher Rampersode from South Ozone Park in New York. Congratulations, Chris. What a beautiful sounding city you live in. South Ozone Park, New York. Yeah. South Ozone Park. Sounds uh, hazardous, actually. But, um. Yeah, it sounds like cool. where a Ninja Turtle would reside. Yeah. Yeah, like 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 maybe it's a place that where you see ooze everywhere. Well, congratulations. You have won. What have they won? A t-shirt, uh some postcards, some stickers, and some coffee sleeves from the post wrestling Fantastic. Cafe. Oh, coffee sleeves, you say? Coffee sleeves. Yeah, I've been throwing those in. So, yeah. So that's our first contest everybody, but our second contest is an ongoing one, and that is our Rewind a uh Rewind a Dynamite theme song contest that is up right now. Uh, we have one more week to, to, to accept all of your entries. We already have a number of them, and I haven't listened to any of them yet. Have you, John? I've listened to none. I'm waiting for next week to go through them with my uh, – I, I am not going to listen to any of them beforehand. Yeah, same here. I, I'm, I'm going to listen to all of them pretty fresh. Uh, we'll be taking them all the way until next Wednesday morning. So if you are working on anything, make sure your submissions are up there by Wednesday morning, and we'll get to uh, all of the – the the entries live on this edition of uh, next week's edition of the Rewinded Dynamite. All right. Well, uh, we look forward to that. Always fun when we do these contests. So we will have new theme music uh, announced next week, and then they will be signed in perpetuity to be the opening sound that you hear each and every week when we start the show. So looking forward to that. Um, there was a lot of news over the last uh, 24 hours or so. Uh, do you want to get into that off the bat or dynamite? Just you lead the way, and I am riding shotgun with you, way. Mm. Let's get into news at the end. Dynamite began on Wednesday night from the Leacora Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Jim Ross touting the fact that they had sold out the arena in 22 minutes. And out came SCU. 
Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and they're walking down the ramp, and they are jumped by Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix. They get attacked. Kazarian is driven into the post, and then the big attack was Pentagon Jr. delivering a package pile driver to one Christopher Daniels on the ramp, and he is down. He is not moving. Scorpio Sky sprints from the back. He's not dressed to compete. He runs to chase off the Lucha Broads, and they do the first ever dynamite stretcher job as Daniels is strapped onto the stretcher. The Bucks are out. Shima is there, and Scorpio is pleading to the referee that he wants to take the spot of Christopher Daniels in this upcoming tag tournament match against the best friends. But starting things off with a pretty frantic angle to eliminate Christopher Daniels from the match. It's a very simple angle that, you know, every wrestling fan has seen for a long, long time. But um, just a way to, I guess, start the show, show off pretty hot into babyface SCU. So with that said, Scorpio Sky inserts himself into the match with Frankie Kazarian to take on Chucky e. T and Beretta, the best friends. And our tag tournament continues. And Chucky e. T removes one of Scorpio Sky's running shoes and throws it away. And proceeds to bite the foot of Scorpio Sky as Sky would work most of this match with one shoe on, which prompted the crowd to chant, he's got one shoe. They were amazed by this, this feat of strength. Somehow this worked, you know, with this crowd. Um, the shoes, I would say, were, were became the hallmark of this particular match. And uh, it all worked. Uh, Beretta speared Kazarian on the floor and then they delivered uh, a superplex to Kazarian off the shoulders of uh, Chucky. Then we got, uh, this is when Sky is in there, and Chucky goes for a, his Tope Con Hero misses and takes out his partner Beretta, and we get a slingshot Hurricane Rana from Kazarian on the floor. Sky then does a Tope Con Hero onto both men, and the place goes wild for Scorpio Sky. Sky was the star of this match to this crowd. Uh, he's lost his second shoe, and now we've got a he's got no shoes chant going on. They double team they uh, double team Sky with the soul food into the half and half suplex. Then Sky interrupts their hug and gets booed for this. The best friends do hug that gets a big pop. Uh, and then the finishing sequence sees a power bomb from Kazarian onto Beretta, and it looked like Scorpio was either to get underneath him for the double knees or to time his drop kick a bit better. It was a bit sloppy at the end, but that was the finish. At 9.57 as SCU wins to advance. And I thought the spotlight was really thrust upon Scorpio Sky here. And this audience just loved him. He was, to me, the story of the match. He's really become, I would say, the standout performer in SCU ever since they've debuted in, in All Elite. So um, I I thought it was a very good match. In this particular match, I thought Scorpio Sky really stood out with his charisma. Um, the shoe thing unintentionally or intentionally made this match that much more memorable. Kaz, I thought it did a pretty good job selling them back. My point of contention to this match, though, I thought it was weird how, like, Kaz was the legal man. And as they were leading to the finish, he tagged Scorpio Sky while they were both standing on the apron, making their way into the ring, which I've never seen before in a wrestling match. And I, I, I can't imagine that to be a legal tag. But, you know, that kind of took me out of it. They lost me a little bit. But overall, it was still a good match. Well, we got a spot in the later tag match where Pentagon was standing in the inside the ring and was tagged in by Phoenix. Yeah. Um, which spot was that again? What happened there? 
that was that was in the later yeah. tag match where um, Phoenix just walks over to his corner and Pentagon is not on the apron. He's literally in the ring and they just high five right. and that constitutes the tag. Yeah. So I, I again, like, you know, uh, these a these, these AEW like officiating little things have have really bothered me. Like they've been small, but I mean, for I think you know a promotion that really prides itself on like trying to present I don't know a no no bullshit type of like uh, wrestling. I feel like these are little things that should be pointed out. And I it, it you know I was looking online, didn't really seem to bother too many people, but it was certainly something I noticed. And I don't know uh, if did did it it didn't affect my overall enjoyment of the match. But if we're going to be critiquing at this level, I I have to point it out. No, that's that's a totally fair comment. I I missed that, but I did notice the Pentagon Phoenix one, and that was more jarring for me. But this is a company that they are the details company. So I think that when you put that magnifying glass on yourself, that is that's fair comment. I think it's everything that I complained about the draft was that you wanted to have this realistic feel to it, and it was impossible if you went into that with kind of a a sports mentality of that draft. And, you know, that's similar to what they're pushing here. So, no, that's totally, totally legit criticism. So we go 17 minutes before we go to our picture-in-picture, and during this picture-in-picture, we got to see Santana and Ortiz walking backstage, followed by Alex Reynolds and John Silver making their way to the ring. Did you stay tuned during this uh, picture-in-picture way? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess in Canada we don't really have the um, the option or the the uh, we we aren't enticed to to switch to any other channels with AEW not being on concurrently. So I did not switch. Um, I I like the fact that they save the commercials, the picture in picture for um, after the match. You know, choosing instead to give you the full seventeen minutes of the match itself uninterrupted. Rather than, you know, they could have easily put the commercial break in between the match itself. So I didn't I didn't switch. So we got a rare uh, real quick match here. It was just Santana and Ortiz going over Alex Reynolds and John Silver, who are two uh, New York based uh, independent wrestlers. Uh, Santana and Ortiz came out to new theme music, carrying the Puerto Rican flag and just came out feeling like superstars here. Um they started the match. There was a sit-out powerbomb to Silva, er, to Silver into a kick from Santana. And then Ortiz bit the top rope like he was uh, Tomohiro Ishii. And they hit the street sweeper and pinned Silver in two minutes. Quick showcase for Santana and Ortiz. Not much more to say about it. Um, you know, other than the fact that they, they aren't shying away from doing jobber matches. With you know, I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. that they they don't feel that it's a, it's another sign on AEW side that they are not concerned about what's going on on the other channel. Like mm-hmm. that, I consistently feel that. And by doing a match like this, that tells you like they are they're building an act in Santana and Ortiz, and that was the priority here. Yeah, yeah. Jericho appears on the screen, and he cuts Santana and Ortiz's promo for them. He calls them street thugs and pit bulls and says that they want the Young Bucks on November the 9th at full gear. And they do a lot of high flying and flips. The Bucks do, but they've never been in a fight like this. And Jericho had to battle Santana and Ortiz, who are screaming off camera as Jericho's speaking on the screen, uh, setting up their match. But 
playing like their de facto manager here and setting up their next match. I, I found that to be an interesting choice because I think we know that Santana or, or NRTs can speak for themselves. But I think having the idea of, of Jericho speak for them, at least to start, I, I don't mind it because, you know, first of all, it, it really conveys the idea of this being a unit and that it's it's Jericho's inner circle. He is the person that has chosen these two. He's kind of, you know, he's our advocate for how great these two are. And you're also talking about maybe an audience at large who might not have seen Santana and Ortiz do their thing in, in, at Impact. So you really are, I think, for a lot of people, introducing them to a brand new audience. And I think having Jericho be the one to introduce you to them, to tell you about them, and really to, to act at the, as that mouthpiece to start, I, I think is effective. Then we got uh, our Road to segment on the show. It's Cody at home as he is just in a trance, just distracted as Brandy is going over their media schedule as we we know it's serious way when it's time to bust out the piano. Oh, for sure. And the slow-mo. Yeah, it's serious stuff. And <laughs> they cut to Cody and in his lifeless body that's lying in a pool. And I'm like, oh, God, we're doing a murder angle here. But it's him. Um, it's a sensory. Getting, it's a sensory yes. deprivation tank. <laughs> so he's uh, tuned everyone out. He's only focused on Chris Jericho. And they have sit-downs with Brandy, DDP, his mother, MJF, uh, Tony Schiavone is in this. Jim Ross explains that Jericho has one match to focus on at the pay-per-view. Meanwhile, Cody has all these meetings on his plate, and the title match is one of many things he has going on that weekend. That cuts to uh, Michelle, his mother, explaining how hard it is to be someone's son in this business and getting out of Dusty's shadow. And Paige said how Dusty always believed that the someone's first world title win is the most real thing in the industry. And MJF, his lines were notable. If you want to read into the idea of a turn, his lines are, he knows how important this night is to Cody and that on November 9th, history will be made and a legend will be born. Those were MJF's words. Interesting. Okay. Uh, very smart if, if that is the intent, you know, to, to plant those seeds, even though, you know, it could very well not happen. Um, but I think I think they're planting a lot of misdirection with MJF, but yeah. wanting people to read into everything like that, which I like. I like the fact that they ultimately it's being done with a purpose. Yes, for sure. I thought it was also notable how, you know, for, for all of, like uh, what DDP said about like your first world title being a big deal. Are we forgetting, I guess, at this point that Cody was a former ROH world champion? Or does yes. that not count? That does not count, or they're forgetting it. I thought everybody was really good in this, especially, though, Michelle Runnels, who, whose delivery sounded so genuine uh, as if this wasn't a, a scripted wrestling storyline. I mean, often it's the moms that really kind of like shine in, in segments like these because whoever is doing these interviews, whoever's doing the directing, it, you know, they were able to get her to speak from the heart as if, you know, this was like the truth about her son, that it's really difficult to step out of his, her, her, uh, you know, his father's shadow. So I, I really enjoyed it. This was the type of piece you would have typically seen on road to, and they decided to put it into the show instead, which I think is an excellent idea. You're getting way more eyeballs and this is some of the best stuff that they're producing. Yeah. And I'm curious if this is going to be what we see in the body of the shows leading up as opposed to a road to series for full gear, which is 
uh, less than a month away, I wonder if they're going to have a digital presence or is it more valuable to be doing these kinds of pieces and just putting them on the show? I think you premiere them here, but then you can throw them online afterwards and the effect is still very much the same. You know, I would yep, expect that's true. I would expect a big compilation of all of these pieces like for a Barker show heading into the, the pay-per-view as well. Next was the women's title match with Riho defending against Dr. Britt Baker. And Baker's finish is now called the Lockjaw. The Lockjaw. Do you like it? Uh, yes. It, it, is it too corny or is it or do you like it? I, I thought it works, but I, I as someone that has had Lockjaw, <laughs> it just it, it, it makes me kind of like uh, uh, it's uneasy just hearing the, those words together. And I'm not crazy about having to say those words every time she has a match and she's going for this move and I have to identify it as Lockjaw. The Lockjaw, she could have went with the TMJ. Um, maybe like the, I don't know. Wait, these are all possibilities for other moves. Oh, the first sure. God damn. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. Lockjaw is cool. I think it makes sense. Um, so she's going for it early and Rio gets to the rope. Um, Rio missed this double foot stomp. So then Baker hits a TKO, uh, into the jawbreaker, which I was thinking could be called the jawbreaker. Well, sir, put that on they the didn't list. didn't ask for my, my input. <laughs> uh, Riho then applies, uh, she goes for this rolling single leg cradle. Then there's a fisherman buster neckbreaker from Baker and then drills Riho with a kick. Rio came back with a beautiful Northern Lights bridge into a half crab and she's torquing on the ankle, but Baker successfully makes it to the rope. And Riho immediately goes to the top, double foot stomp, huge near fall. They've got the crowd at this point. There's a series of uh, double knees into the corner, discus forearm by Baker, and then a spinning neck breaker, and she goes for the lock jaw. But they cl- they close in on Rio's mouth, and her mouth is completely shut. She has scouted the lock jaw, and she has locked her teeth together. She has wired them shut. And Riho is able to reverse on top and cover Baker in 819. And then afterwards, immediately after, they do a close-up of Baker who is so upset that she got caught. And then immediately they cut to Riho with the greatest smile that she has prevailed over Britt Baker. And they really sold the um, just how much this win and conversely loss meant to these two afterwards. And I thought they really hooked the, the, the crowd, especially after that big double foot stomp near fall. I agree. I thought this was a good match. I found it a little bit clunky to start, but I think they really managed to find their footing towards the finish. And I thought the end was, was really nice. Uh, and I guess it's worth emphasizing that, you know, this was a finish. I think maybe even like looking at this match on paper, realizing that Britt Baker is one of their top, yeah, I would say maybe most pushed babyface, uh, other than at this point, Riho. And putting those two together, how do you get out of this match while making sure that, you know, um, you don't hurt either one? And they gave us a finish. They gave us a proper finish. There was no distraction, no run-in from B Priestley, like I think a lot of people might have predicted. No ref bump. They did a roll-up that still protected Britt Baker to an extent while giving the crowd a conclusive ending to this match, which Riho certainly absolutely needs right now, you know, having just won the title. And I thought both women ended up better following the match. It firmly establishes Riho as the best in this division, but like Britt Baker giving her a really good fight kind of just places her like 
you know, uh, to uh, at like number two or number number three. Yeah, I always find that, especially in the early chapters of a championship, these kinds of matches always help to make the title feel important, especially when you can take two baby faces, have a competitive match. There's no bullshit, and it's just there's a winner and a loser, and it doesn't hurt anybody. It just uh, to me, it shows two people competitively going for this title, and this is a, this is what you have to do with the building blocks of this women's title and getting these wins for Riho to establish the title. So I, I thought this worked well. Um, do, do you think it was a missed opportunity not doing this in Pittsburgh, though? Well, I mean, um, you would have certainly— Or do you avoid uh, avoid beating Baker in her hometown? I mean, I, I think there there might be that. Maybe there there's the risk that you you know might get a negative reaction for Riho winning. But with this type of audience, I don't think you would have had that, you know, with them both being baby faces. Even if this took place next week, I think you would have had a positive reaction either way if this match was was good. Um, it was, certainly would have felt like a bigger deal ha- had it taken place next week. So um, I wonder what they have in store for Britt Baker next week. I mean, maybe they want to give her a win in, in her hometown. Yeah, they have just promoted Britt Baker in action next week. No opponent. There was an update. Christopher Daniels suffered a stinger, but he's up and moving, and he's okay. Good. That's good that sounds news. like a lot there. It's like, uh, you just suffered a stinger. You're fine. Um, a stinger, I guess, is, is recoverable, especially if you're only wrestling once a week. I guess so. Then we had uh, Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix taking on Jurassic Express, but due to a, a thigh injury sustained by Luchasaurus, which sounds very weird to say, uh, the dinosaur is out, and in to replace him is Marco Stunt teaming with Jungle Boy. So, I mean, always unfortunate when you have an injury, and I was looking forward to this match with Luchasaurus involved, but not one of the teams where you had to do a whole lot to create a makeshift team. There was the obvious replacement uh, for this. Yeah, and I wonder if you're going to start seeing more of this as a trend, you know, more trios uh, teams and uh, more, I guess, Freebird rule type, types of teams because they they actually had two instances of that on this show. That's right. Yeah. Uh, private parties in the front row scouting because they'll be taking on the winners next week. We're going to be doing both semifinals in Pittsburgh next week. And there's a standoff at the beginning between Pentagon and Stunt where Stunt flosses, which... Another another potential Baker spot. And <laughs> Pentagon takes his glove and whips it at Jungle Boy on the apron. And then Marco bites his hand. And Marco just, I mean, he shines when he has a base. And Pentagon played that base here. We got the crazy tilt-a-whirl on Penta. And then Penta shot him onto Phoenix. And he came out and hit Phoenix with a DDT. Um, Jurassic Express then hit a Tope Suicida Asai Moonsault combo with both going to the floor. And then Jungle Boy tried a handstand in the corner and got a thrust kick from Pentagon. Phoenix just uh, Greco-Roman knuckle lock, scaled to the top, took out both guys, got a standing ovation for this. Uh, this is where we got our picture-in-picture break. And this, we might have to keep tabs way for maybe our year-end awards. Best picture-in-picture high spot because my leading candidate is Pentagon doing a one-armed military press and throwing stunt with one arm into a Phoenix super kick. Wow, okay. That new category. <laughs> this was nuts. It's that or... This was turn the break. It's that or a rear chin lock. That, those are the contenders, yes. 
Um, there were a lot of cool spots here with Stunt and Jungle Boy just flying all over the place. I mean, Stunt is going to have his detractors because of the, the size disparity. But, man, it's just watching this guy do shit at this speed, I, I'm really captivated by it. Uh, Penta spun Marco around by the hair. Uh, and then in the closing moments, Pentagon got hold of Marco's stunt, snapped the arm, double foot stomp into the package pile driver, and then Phoenix launched to the floor with a dive onto Jungle Boy, and Marco ate the pin at 11 minutes and 33 seconds. And I am going to quote uh, a former wrestling manager who now is a color commentator for a NWA program. The most embarrassingly rotten, stinky tag match in the history of wrestling just took place on AEW Dynamite, and the Ding Dongs are now in second place for a worst all-time tag team. Oh my! But what did you think about the match? <laughs> oh jeez. Well, I mean, it was it, it, between this and I guess between uh, Joey Janela versus uh, Kenny Omega on AEW Dark. I wonder if uh, Jim Cornette took a watch at that. I'm surprised he's still paying attention to AEW, but I, you know, it's it's making for some very entertaining podcasts, I suppose. This was, a, I think, it's good for him to be following all of exactly. this. Exactly, this was a really hot, high pace, like PWG style match, and I thought Marco Stunt really stood out here for a crowd that was likely disappointed that they weren't going to get Luchasaurus. I thought they did more than enough to make sure the crowd wasn't unsatisfied because Marco Stunt on his own is is incredibly spectacular, and I thought he really stole the show. A ton of personality shown from him. Although I, I I will say there seemed to be a point here like when he kicked out of that like pump handle pile driver from Pentagon where you can tell right. like Jr and Shivani like it was like Shivani made it, a- it was very noticeable that they they want to maintain that credibility and yeah. this was a stretch for, especially for yes. Jim Ross uh, yes. in in watching Marco Stunt do this and I mean you you can understand that to a degree but this is. Yeah, to me, it's it's this like there was a generation when Tony was calling Rey Mysterio and Kevin Nash matches. You know, what well, I mean? yes, but I mean, was Mysterio kicking out of moves like this? You know, this was not necessarily an instance where I might disagree with that idea because I I feel like a move that looked like that that good deserved to be protected here rather than just being used for a near fall from the smallest guy on the roster. Uh, and it wasn't a huge part of the match either. No, uh, I would say. No, uh, so you know, I feel like that would have been could have been a a, a, um, a move that you could have omitted, and you probably wouldn't have received some of this criticism because I do understand it. Like if if Marco Stunt can kick out of a move like this, you know, like what's somebody gonna look like who's a heavyweight when they don't kick out of it? So right, I can somewhat understand it. You know, and, and like the the style of match here though, like really tells me like the Bucks tag team division is really proving to be certainly like a a more higher paced version compared to of uh, division than any of the other divisions in AEW. It's basically like, you know, it's PWG but but on television. And I think it's cool because it it it's an added tr- attraction to the division. It's something that makes tag team wrestling stand out that you might not get in a singles match or a, or a Joshi or a women's match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when when you look at this, like we had how many tag matches did we have on this? We had three tag matches tonight on the on this uh on this program. Like it's mm-hmm. It's such a major part of their their early identity on TV is tag matches. Yeah. So uh, right after that, we go ex- uh, immediately to the next tag, which is John Moxley and Pack against Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Moxley does an insert promo, and 
He has been written off after one injury, but he is still the top of the food chain. He is not to be messed with, and he is hunting come November the 9th. And the only thing here was his music was just like blaring here. Like it was actually hard to hear what he was saying here. And that was the same issue I had with like Jericho's promo. And I think just some of the the in the in-house mixing with the promos backstage, it's it's just kind of hard to hear them. I think they needed to put this Moxley promo through level later. Because, you know, I think it was just, <laughs> no, but seriously, like it would help because I think it's the dynamics that, you know, weren't really captured because it was when he was whispering that you couldn't really hear him. But um, seriously, just to pass through like a normalizer or a levelator would solve that right away. Is there, is there some issue going on between levelator and, and MacBooks? Yeah, like uh, the new Mac OS can only run 64-bit apps. So uh, Levelator is not going to work, but there are substitutes now at this point. I mean, Levelator is like a several-year-old program that hasn't been updated for such a long time, but there are other substitutes that are out there. I've had famous wrestling podcasters contacting me uh, about this the, this issue. It's a must-have. I said, hey, yeah. hey I'm, I'm PC. I've had no problems. Well, I mean... But finally, it, PC has uh, won out for me. Oh, no, there are many reasons to, to not switch to a Mac at this point. Oh, well, that's uh, that's sobering to know. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, um, we go to break. We come back. I don't know what happened during this commercial, but this entire arena was chanting Moxley. Well, yeah. I don't wonder if he caught a promo or, or something like that, or maybe he just stood there. He must have. He he had to have done something because there's no way just three minutes and they're going nuts like this for him. But it was deafening this reaction for him when they came back from break, uh, and no chance it seemed like for poor Pac. Yeah, Kenny. Uh, Hangman comes out, followed by Kenny Omega, who gets a happy birthday chant on his thirty-sixth birthday. Well, that's nice. That's got to feel good. Well, he uh, he had a hell of a birthday party here. Match begins. Page gets shoved off the top by Moxley, and he lands back first on the edge of the apron, and that sets up the commercial break. They had the heat on Page throughout the break, and then he goes for. For the buckshot lariat and Moxley ducks it, takes him out with another uh, lariat, and then the hot tag is made to Omega. And what a hot tag this was! Snapdragons to Moxley and Pack, uh, Terminator dive onto Pack. Then Moxley follows with a suicide dive. Everyone's on the floor. Hangman Page hits his top rope moonsault, taking out the opponents. And then we get a slingshot cutter from Pack onto Omega. Page murders Pac with a suicide dive, nailing him into the barricade. And then Omega and Moxley have this awesome striking exchange, ending with this inside-out lariat by Moxley. And then they go underneath the ring. And Moxley brings out the barbed wire bat. And Kenny Omega, so unselfish, on his own birthday, he got a present for WH Park. It's the barbed wire broom. Oh, his favorite. And- his favorite weapon. <laughs> and they get into the ring and they tease going at it. But Pac removes both weapons because he doesn't want to be disqualified. And Moxley, not having these same concerns, gives Pac the middle finger and the paradigm ride and leaves. Paradigm he leaves ride. Pac. I, I'm combining them. Oh, okay. It can be the death. It may be the death shift. That sounds better. Death shift. Dude, yeah. the paradigm shift sucks. I hate that name. Death Rider, I think. I mean, is Death Rider that much better? Yeah, it is better. You're right. Death Rider's way better. <laughs> Dirty Moxley. Wa- <laughs> oh, okay. So it's not. Paradigm shift is not the worst name. Okay. Dirty Deeds. 
Like, imagine hearing that for the first time. That is your match. That's your move to kill somebody with. I'm going to hit you with the dirty deeds. It's it's not the worst. And especially now that they have ACDC on board, I think they maybe he could, he could have had the rights to the song. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, so, Pack is left alone, and he is there to die. Buckshot Lariat, V-Trigger, and the Deadeye. Notable here. Page is the one to pin him. 1505. This is Pac's first loss of any kind mm-hmm. in AEW. It almost surely sets up Page and Pack for the pay-per-view. Uh, and more so, uh, for any, um, you know, looking at Kenny Omega, man, I watched some dynamite Kenny Omega matches today between the Janela match and then this tag match. This was my match of the show tonight uh, on Dynamite, this tag. I think I prefer the main event, but I, I could totally see uh, somebody preferring this style of match because I, I thought it was great. You know, it, it did a really good job of giving you a preview of Omega and Moxley. Like the, the intensity when these two were in the ring doing their thing, I thought was excellent. Reminded me a lot. They were, they were awesome. Yeah. yeah. They were tremendous together. Reminded me a lot of like a New Japan multi-man match and, and the purpose of those in, you know, any like you get the two featured people in the ring at the same time and it's electric and you only see a little bit of it before they're pulled away because you have to pay to see the, the, the full match. Um, I thought everybody here looked really good. You know, Paige, I think after that failed, like, uh, title attempt. And let's be honest, some relatively, like, you know, um, non, not necessarily the most memorable matches on either of those uh, uh, pay-per-views that, that he's been on. I thought here he looked really impressive the past couple weeks in these tag team scenarios. Last week, he looked great in there with Dustin, to me, almost stealing the show. And I thought almost the same thing here, too. So I feel like at the moment, this is still a really good role for him as he builds back momentum before his next big run. Um, I was surprised that like they did that much with, with Pac, you know, because he's he's been so protected up until this point. He had a win over Kenny Omega, a win over Hang, uh, Hangman Page. So the fact that he like was kind of made to look like a bit of like the uncool joke here, like the guy who's not into the hardcore matches, um, the guy who not only took a paradigm deeds death uh, shift, but also took a V trigger and a dead eye. I I wonder if that was a little bit too much, but I, I do understand Paige pinning him to lead to that rematch though. Yeah, I I like the fact that you know you could you could argue. You could certainly argue none of these four guys should be losing going into the pay-per-view, but the match was booked, and they didn't come up with some bullshit way to get out of this match. They didn't do some double count-out. They didn't do run-ins so you mm-hmm. get a no contest. They beat someone, and I think over the long term, that's going to buy a lot of goodwill yes. knowing that you're going to get a finish, and I like the fact that, yes, Pac, there is consequences to him losing, and they went with it. Um, I also I, I also didn't mind the weapons like removing them uh, because it made logical sense that he knew if these guys go at it, there's going to be a disqualification in here or no contest. And um, so they, they explained that right away with them. And we should also mention they've announced Pack versus John Moxley next week as well. So th- that's another interesting uh, match. How you come out of that one. A big match, you know, and I think show, yeah. showing you that they, they're definitely giving you big matches for television, you know, pulling those ratings, because that's easily a match you could have saved for a pay-per-view. Yeah, so this is where they go over the whole lineup for next week in Pittsburgh. So we've got both semifinals of the tag tournament with Private Party against the Lucha Bros, which should be tremendous. Uh, SCU, which they didn't state which 
version of it it would be, which that should be some kind of story as well. If Scorpio Sky continues or you could do something where Daniels comes back and Sky is kind of thrust to the side. Which could be an interesting story. Yeah. Um, so they take on Dark Order. Uh, they said Britt Baker will be in action. The Young Bucks will be in action. And Pack versus John Moxley. So looks like a, another strong episode that, and announcing five matches ahead of time. Yes, yes. And and like you said, you know, I, I think the realization that with every match, it feels like they are going to give you a finish. They are going to give you a winner and a loser. That to me adds a whole lot. You know, even yep. even if it's yep. like two people I don't really know. The fact that they are going with this record system and making sure that everything that every match that takes place will have some effect. It, it, it'll mean a lot once they get a, like once they establish that. Main event, Philadelphia street fight for the AEW title. Chris Jericho defending against Darby Allen. Allen comes out. He's got his skateboard that's got AEW champ written on it. And then champ is written all over the side of his body. And mm-hmm. he is followed by Chris Jericho coming out to his pain maker outfit and uh, setting things up. What did you think about the, the visual contrast between Allen and Jericho? I, I, I thought I think Darby Allen looks so cool. And the fact that, like, you know, for a special occasion, he can write different messages across his body. I think it's a really great look. And I like the fact that Jericho brings out the paymaker disguise here, uh, keeping like almost like treating it at this point, sort of like a Buddha type of alter ego. Like kind of his version of the demon, even though it's you know not necessarily as uh, I guess um, maybe protected. I, I would say, mm-hmm. but I think bringing it out only for these hardcore no DQ settings is cool. It adds an extra layer to to this version of Chris Jericho. So the match begins. Allen's on the attack and dives onto him on the floor. Even hit a uh, code red onto Jericho. Jericho then drops him to the floor as Allen's holding his knee. They go to the commercial. Come back. Jericho's got a kendo stick. Allen tries for a Fujiwara armbar, and Jericho gets out, applies the walls, which I guess they're not calling the walls of Jericho anymore, and he gets admonished by referee Aubrey Edwards, lands the code breaker on Allen, and then Allen hooks on to the bottom rope. There's a lawn dart that gets countered with a jawbreaker from Allen. Again, Jericho goes for the walls, and again, he gets to the rope. And up until this point, I thought that it was just... I didn't feel they were like getting to to the level that you were wanting for this particular street fight. Like it just felt like they were going back and forth and it was fine. But then when they taped Allen's hands behind his back, that's when everything got insane in this match. And Darby Allen just had this unbelievable performance from here on out. So Jericho uses tape to tie up Allen and he starts tossing him around and Allen leaps off the middle rope, hitting a cabrada with his arms taped behind his back. Jericho then goes to the floor. Allen hits a Topicon hero through the ropes, and this place goes insane. He scales to the top. He hits a twisting dive onto Jericho for a two count. Then Jericho takes over. He brings the skateboard into the center. Butterfly, butterfly suplex onto the skateboard. Allen still fights back. Jericho's down, he climbs to the top, and he's teasing the coffin drop when Jake Hager appears, drills Allen in the face with a punch, and he falls down, the walls are applied, and Allen submits in 15 minutes and 40 seconds. I thought the tone of this, very reminiscent of Undertaker Jeff Hardy, with mm-hmm. Darby Allen to me having an unbelievable, like, this to me was like a star-making 
effort from him to just come out like this unbelievable daredevil that did this breathtaking sequence uh, of stuff that if you've seen some of his his uh, a lot of his evolved stuff and the feud with ethan page like you've seen some of the crazy shit this guy will do but this was the largest audience to ever be exposed to it i thought this match was fantastic you know certainly we we all knew the outcome of this one there's no way darby allen was going to beat chris jericho for the belt heading into you know a title defense but i think what we were all looking for was that breakthrough performance from darby allen with chris jericho and I thought these two managed to completely over-deliver on that expectation. I thought Allen was outstanding here. Like, such a great underdog babyface. Great selling. Not only does his, like, smaller size work to his advantage, his offense looks so smooth, so beautiful, that you are legitimately wowed when you simply, when you watch him just, like, you know, do a crossbody or, or, or something, you know, in- incredible like that. Jericho, again, I've said I feel he's slowing down. Uh, that doesn't mean he can't continue to have great matches, as he proved here. You know, his slower pace, actually, I thought worked as a good contrast here. And it worked to help tell the story of this match, where you have the story of the larger man slowing the young, energetic kid down to his own pace. And, you know, I thought the match was already really good up until they did the duct tape stuff. But once they came up with the hands behind the back duct tape stuff, I thought that took this match to another level. To me, it made Alan look that much more sympathetic, and it made Jericho look like that much more of a villain. And once he started doing like those dives in the offense, essentially like the Orange Cassidy gimmick, but you're given like a legitimate reason why this guy is sticking his hands down his pants or like behind his back. It was magical. Like those dives looked incredible. Um, you know, this was a man fighting for his life with his hands shackled behind his back. Like we've seen this oftentimes in pro wrestling, but I, 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 I think you've rarely seen such beautiful high flying executed uh with the man's hands be- tied behind his back it was great and i love the hager interference you know it's a no dq match so to me it's still a very legitimate finish got a ton of heat for hager makes him look like a big deal sets up hager versus allen if you want to do that and it protected D- darby allen while keeping the belt for chris jericho so i thought everybody won yeah yeah i i think what really made it was th- those final 5 minutes it really took it to the next level for me and it did what needed to be done with with Darby Allen. So he loses, but he gets way over in the process. Like he, to me, when AEW assembled their roster and you're looking at the guys that you could see becoming breakout stars, like certainly you imagined MJF on TNT would be one of those guys. Like there's a lot of them. I don't know how high Allen was on everyone's list, Mm -hmm. but this guy is a goldmine. And I feel he is going to be intriguing to your non-wrestling audience. I think, I think they have something just magic in this guy. And like already in like two weeks of television, like look at the reaction he had at the beginning of this match. You know, they've already done such a, a tremendous job and he's done a tremendous job of making himself stand out and feeling like a big deal. So, um, I, I mean so much, so much potential for him. Yeah, absolutely. Afterwards, um, Yo, Ross points out that it was Jake Hager that saved Chris Jericho, and the whole inner circle comes out. They've got a bunch of champagne bottles. Everyone's drinking except for Jake Hager because he has a fight next weekend. Oh, is that so? Didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he's fighting next weekend in Bellator. Wow. And, I mean, did they mention that? They have not mentioned it. It's it's a week, uh, a week Friday. So we'll see next week if there's any promotion of that. Um you would think they would, but 
may, I, I don't know. There was no mention of it so far. I wonder if there's a concern that, like, if he loses, does that affect the the wrestling character? I, I like obviously like in WWE, I feel like they might worry about something like that, but we don't know AEW stance on uh, something like that. Well, the the thing about Bellator is that they know when they have stars and how to build them, and it would be an absolute shock if Jake Hager lost this fight. I mean, he's in a, a pretty favorable fight um, for mm-hmm. him. So, uh, but again, uh, TNT like they are in business with one championship. Do they want to be? putting a lot of effort into promoting one of their guys uh, fighting on another network. So right. we'll, we'll see next Wednesday how how much or how non-existent that uh, Bellator promotion is. It is something I could see them after the fight, Jericho bringing it up in the promo, uh, but For maybe sure. not promoting it in advance. We'll, we'll see what they do. You know, TNA had that predicament with Bobby Lashley where they were kind of in, but then they they were there were other times they ignored his fights. So mm. we'll see. We'll see what happens. But Anyway, that was uh, AEW Dynamite week number three. Uh, what did you think of the show overall and in comparison to uh, the, the effort so far? What what stood out for you tonight? I, it's You know, it's odd because I feel like I've been so used to seeing like wrestling TV shows perhaps peak in the first segment and then gradually kind of like dwindle down to like just maybe nothingness. But I thought this was a show that that got better as it went along, which is, you know, I think the way a wrestling show should be. I thought what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> you're, you're supposed to tune out at the end and just be struggling <laughs> as the final credits come up. You know, I thought the first few matches were, were okay, but, like, really nothing special. But I thought the final two featuring, like, the star power of, of Kenny Omega, Paige, Moxley, Pack, followed by, I thought, a tremendous main event that told a wonderful, wonderful story that, you know, like, gave – that benefited everybody involved with it. It, it helped raise my overall level of uh, enjoyment for this particular show. I still feel like last week, maybe I went off on a bigger high because the first match was great and the last segment was great. Um, this, I would just rank... Yeah, me- that, that awesome promo in the middle, too. Which yes. we, we didn't have anything of, the, of that equivalent this week. Yes, yes. So I would rank this episode maybe below the second one, but uh, above the first. Yeah, this was... Uh, I, I really enjoyed the... Darby Allen performance. I thought the the semifinal tag was really strong. Uh, you know the the matches were the, the the thing I enjoy the most about this show is that it's amazing how fast paced the show is, and it's we don't go backstage, we don't do so many other things that it's just such a quick pace to it, and you're really getting that even more so, which we'll get into with power as well that. Man, you 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 can't even blink during power. It's just one thing after mm-hmm. the other. They don't let you get bored at all. And I think that this is another very well paced two hours that uh, AEW puts out. Yeah, and, yeah. and they and they they've trimmed a lot of the fat that you see on a two hour wrestling show. Kind of makes me wonder, like, how this pace of show would be in a three hour format. You know, like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. What I mean is like how big of a whole, like uh, how big of a handicap is three hours or is it simply the style of television that's being produced for those three hours? Right. I mean, there's times that, you know, when we go back and, you know, there were nitros that they would, you know, three hours is three hours. That's a long time to ask of people, but there you, you can have like a, a different pace to it where it's not as dragging as some of the worst raws we have seen. 
that you certainly can feel that at times. And conversely, there's times like Raw's. They have had hot shows mm-hmm. where that three hours, it's it's rare, but there are times when you have that different pace and it does not feel like a three-hour Raw. It actually goes by quicker. Mm-hmm. Let's head on over to the forum and see what everybody has to say on uh, week number three here. On a scale of one to ten, tonight's show gets a 7.62. So we'll start off with Paul from New Jersey. A loss is as bad as a draw because in a tournament, only winners can advance. He says this in quotations. I think this might be my new favorite commentary team. Riho and Britt Baker put on an incredibly entertaining match. Glad to see there was no interference as I was expecting some. I also very much enjoyed Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. Had the chance to see Stunt live right before he was signed. Great to see how far he has come in such a short time. Full disclosure, the WWE draft broke me. All I wanted to see tonight was a solid wrestling show that made some sort of sense, and I got more than that. Another very entertaining week for AEW. We got a Bob who says, man, what an excellent show. The high point for me was Jericho versus Darby Allen. As much as I wanted Darby to win and knew he wouldn't, it was good to see Jericho give him a real rub. The low point, and not even that low, was Britt Baker versus Riho. It started a little slow for me, but really picked up during the last parts. I even bid on Baker winning and didn't see that reversal coming. Excellent show overall. I'd say even better than week two. That close-up of Rio with her mouth just completely locked to avoid the lockjaw. I love that. I thought that was awesome. Well, this is a big deal, Way. The archivist sat down and watched this show and has typed in feedback. This is amazing. Wow, that never happens. The Archivist. Wednesday is quickly becoming my favorite night of the week. I know this is show number three, but that was their best so far. Every segment had something I enjoyed. Scorpio Sky wrestling in his street gear. Yeah, that's another thing. Scorpio Sky did tremendous tonight. He got over huge in that opener. Um, He adds the Cody feature, the amazing tag match to start the second hour, and Jericho almost losing to a man with his hands taped behind his back. I fucking love this show, guys. We got a Faye Roos from Malaysia who says three episodes in and I'm all in with AEW. The show breezed by due to good to great matches with definitive finishes so far. The only thing that bugs me is the inconsistent officiating of these matches that even confuses the commentary team sometimes. Hopefully AEW sees this as a problem that needs to be fixed fast. Nine out of ten. Yeah, we went over that. I think I think that's a that's a fair comment, especially with, with some of the tag matches and just establishing your structure that people understand and you follow it and your performers follow it. And that just, it it forces you to tell your story and not leave the announcers hanging either to try and have to cover for stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Noah from Vaughn, those two hours just flew by and the tag tournament continues to impress with two terrific matches. Nothing on this show went too long. And that Cody promo package was excellent. 9 out of 10 show for me. So excited for Moxley versus Pac next week. However, I was seeing a lot of negativity on Twitter regarding the lack of DQs, countouts, etc. Do you think that this leads to AEW responding by tightening the rules, or because most fans have enjoyed these three shows, will they keep the loose rules in place? I hope they listen to their audience and tighten up some of those rules. Because, again, if you're trying to present a sports-like presentation, you need to respect your own rules. Your your own kind of, you know... Like, I, I can only buy referee's discretion to such an extent. And ultimately, it makes it tougher to believe in the matches. So I hope they listen to their audience on that. We go to Tyler from Orlando who says, I thought the opening segment was great. I like the little details of Sky rest, like Sky wrestling in jeans and also putting on tape last minute. 
these things matter to some people. I don't see the hype built around Britt Baker. I think she's fine, but not the one to lead the women's division. Lastly, I think Jericho bringing out the Paymaker persona should be like when Balor uses the Demon kinda. However, his wrestling style should change when he does so. Allen is a future world champ for them. 7 out of 10. Next up we go to uh, the genius. The little things. Scorpio having to fight in his jeans and one shoe after hastily taping his wrist because he wasn't expecting to wrestle. Shima running out to check on Christopher Daniels. Riho refusing to open her mouth and catching Baker off guard. Or off mouth guard. An argument between teammates with one of them walking out that actually makes sense. This is what I asked for. Cognizant storytelling. I am confused by all the rope breaks in a street fight. But besides that, the two hours again flew by. Dynamite has been terrific so far. Eight out of ten show this week. Did we not go through that like with Omega versus Jericho? And, and we, the- We've gone through it every time there's a, there's a street fight. It's, it's, it was not done incorrectly. Okay. Uh, Brad says, hi guys, it's Brad, the dad from Halifax. I hate to compare what we just saw with Raw and SmackDown because it is like comparing apples to a a rotting bag of oranges. (laughs) There were three spectacular tag matches, a squash match and an amazing main event. The show was well-timed and well-paced. The highlight for me was the promos and video packages. They were so different from what we saw in WWE. It makes this product feel fresh. Question. Do you think we will get, we will get them we will get them all packages like this each week and then being unique from WWE. Also, is this rate the rating on the show the highest rating in the history of also okay, I can't understand a, a single thing you tried to write for Brad. <laughs> um I think you're asking about video packages. You you'll probably see them uh a few more times. Yeah. I'd like to see them more for like more than just the main event, although I know they probably have a lot a lot of limitations with like what crews around uh who they can do these interviews with. But man, like some of these matches like Riho uh still really kind of begs for like a lot more storytelling to be done in post. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure Steve Yu is w- probably overseeing like those uh th- those promos cuz he was the guy doing all the road to stuff. Mm-hmm. Also um uh, Nick Mondo, who was the the former wrestler who did all those Moxley spots earlier this year, he's also now working with AEW. Well, that's great, awesome. I mean, it's it really yeah. it has been a bit of a war, I would say, for every kind of known like video producer that's out there. Like everybody's being gobbled up. So if you're a great video editor out there, get your name out there. There's there's plenty of people looking for your help. Absolutely, get your stuff out there. Now's a now's the time to uh, make your. Your work public, because who knows who might be after you. John from Montana. At the end of each Dynamite, I'm left counting down the days until next Wednesday, which is how it used to be. I I can say I can enjoy all of this stuff. I'm never at the end of it saying I can't wait to watch more wrestling. But that maybe that's me. Maybe I'm in a unique position. But to to me, it's like because you watch. I I enjoy that. Like that because you're watching every single thing. You know, John from Montana might not be sitting through three hours of Raw or you know, uh, NXT right after this or NWA power. Uh, John goes on to say that, uh, uh, this was another great show helped by the hot Philadelphia crowd and some really good matches. I think the commentary team is really gelled as all three of them seem to be working off each other seamlessly. And they have done a fantastic job of making Darby Allen into a legit star. It's great to be a wrestling fan in 2019, eight bottles of bubbly for Le champion out of 10. 
We got a Brett from Texas who says another great example of dynamite on top of dark last night. They continued to do a great job of mixing up the roster, and I didn't even look at the clock until it was 8:15, and JR introduced the tag match as the main event. All the tag matches here are my highlight as they all featured innovative spots and were given enough time. Looking forward to D&D next week already. All right, from Kishan. A kid in the front row dressed as Orange Cassidy. Cool. Private Party's new shirt. Cool. Show has a nice flow to it. They have set up storylines well with Lucha Bros, SCU, Mox, Omega, and Pac. Commentary seems to be getting into their rhythm now, although I find JR is sometimes on a different page in regards to talent than Excalibur and Tony. Moxley's promo was good. Main event was great. I like this better than Cody and Darby, although this had a story to it. Darby's promo on YouTube saying Jericho needs to be humbled was great, and he gives the show an 8 out of 10. Uh, any different uh, opinions of the commentary after week three? Because really. I'm enjoying these three. I, I yeah. like them a lot. Yeah. I- I think they're finding their flow. I mean, I understand, um, uh, you know, Keyshawn's uh, comments about Jr., who I think re- recognizes his his limitations when it comes to some of these newer talents, and that's when you see Excalibur maybe step up, um, take on more of the play by play. But I think as a unit, the three of them all play like a necessary role. Yep, definitely. We got a Brandon. Let's from- do one more here. Okay, we got a Brandon finally from Oshawa who says, "I'm really surprised to come on to of all the." to come on to all of the praise because I thought this was easily the weakest episode of Dynamite so far. It was still miles away better than anything WWE, but if I'm going to call out WWE on their shit, then I need to do the same for AEW. In two tag matches tonight, there was a tag when both guys were standing in the ring between the Lucha Bros and when it, and a tag when both guys were on the apron in the other tag tournament match. Maybe I'm mistaken and that is allowed. <laughs> I don't think it is allowed, so I don't think you're mistaken, Brandon. He, but he says, I've never seen it, though, and it looked really sloppy. I did love that Scorpio. Sorry, that, that's how tag matches work as of tonight. It's, it's all changed. You can tag outside the ring. You can tag backstage. Yeah. You, you don't even have to tag. You can text them, and he, it's a tag. <laughs> I did love that Scorpio Sky was not conveniently in his ring gear, though. That is a definite win. Britt Baker is not very good at all. She has no charisma, and I thought she was also really sloppy. Riho blew her away, and I'm glad she retained the title because it almost looked like they were going to flip it. Moxley Pack versus Omega Hangman was great, as was the main event, even though rope breaks in a street fight make no sense. That is another dumb WWE move. This has been, you know, established is that a street fight, you can fight wherever you want, but the match still needs to end in the legal surface. And a rope, that is not the legal area so if it's in the ropes it can't end there it's not falls count anywhere you can't pin them on the floor either right right has to end in the ring with a pinfall or submission yeah so that's not a critique honestly like listen we go through man that episode of raw on monday night (laughs) listen I, i wasn't crazy about the tag stuff but if at the end of that show those are your biggest complaints i mean that's a far cry i will say like i feel like raw does a pretty good job of like maintaining Rules like that, though. You know, WWE in general, I feel, does a pretty good job of maintaining the structure of rules like that. Yeah, the Hell in a Cell was a perfect example. Well, okay. uh, (laughs) Never mind. All right. Thanks to everyone for your feedback. We uh, we always appreciate it. And let's go to some news. Let's go. Yeah, we have have a bunch of it to talk about. This one already feels a bit uh, late to the party here. But Tuesday, WWE sent out a press release announcing that Bruce Pritchard had replaced Eric Bischoff as executive director 
of SmackDown. And uh, they also uh, sent us uh, an update when we requested it, stating Eric Bischoff was done with WWE. This was not a case of where we're going to reassign him and dress this up as just changing things around. He is done with the company. Um, So a very strong move um, against Eric Bischoff. And uh, Bruce Pritchard, who it sounds like him and Ed Kosky had already been, you know, key people in the SmackDown mix. I know that when they split the writing teams recently, Bruce Pritchard has been one of a few guys uh, that have been going to both shows. So I don't know if that will continue or if he'll just now mainly focus on SmackDown. But it was described to me that this is not going to be this gigantic change um, because it just seems like this was like I wasn't told of like one specific thing that caused all this. It just sounded like it was conveyed to me like this was just it didn't work out. It did not work out with Eric Bischoff. I don't even know how deeply he really got into the creative process, um, how involved he really was. And it just seemed like at the end of this, like this. It didn't work out, and four months after hiring him, he is out. Um, I was I was very surprised they completely cut ties with him. That surprised me. Right, right. I, I, you know, I and I don't know if anybody is really all that surprised that this happened. Maybe at the speed at which it happened would have kind of caught a lot of us off guard. You know, seeing that it was only two weeks into this like Fox, you know, uh, era of SmackDown that this happened. And we had just established a draft, but um, if I mean, it was this was foreseen the the moment he was hired, and all the questions people had of how is Eric going to adapt? He's not really paying attention to the current stuff. Like he's going to have a lot of catch up to play. And these days, especially with the man doing a podcast and you know having as public of a voice as he has within the community, these things are no secrets. You know, you can tell who's watching wrestling week to week who really has their kind of eye on the pulse so to speak of like what people seem to want and i mean from the beginning it it certainly felt like eric bischoff had a lot like a lot of work to do to to catch up and and you know certainly to lead something as big of a project as wwe's uh, like uh you know new new television show on the biggest platform that they've had is it I had very little confidence that that it was going to work and really makes you wonder what those initial what the initial thinking was to hire Eric Bischoff of all people. Yeah, I I can't say what they were thinking in June, like what his role would ultimately be. But I mean, it's been very clear him and Paul Heyman were doing very different things over the last while. Like Heyman seems to be pretty as deep as you can be. But we, as we said back in June. This is Vince McMahon's shows. These are Vince McMahon's shows, and it's simply who is going to have uh, a certain level of of input above others. And it just seems like Eric Bischoff was not really able to uh, assimilate into whatever role they had mapped out for him or just working things in. And it looks like they just decided to cut bait. And, you know, I, I envisioned that, you know, if – if there was going to be a major blow up and someone was going to be gone, I would have assumed it would be Paul Heyman, that there would just be that one week and history dictates this, that Heyman would just fly off the handle and just wouldn't be able to take it and would ultimately end up just throwing his hands in the air while Bischoff, I knew 
That's never going to happen. This guy will navigate. He will work. He's a people person here with uh, with working off of Vince McMahon. Uh, I was surprised that Bischoff would have been the one to end up not not at least having a role somewhere. Like I could see him certainly being maybe moved out of any kind of uh, position that he was hired for, but still just keeping him so he doesn't go somewhere else. Um, hmm. What do yeah. you foresee uh, with uh, Bruce Pritchard here? Or is it, I guess, uh, you know, um, I think it's going to be programming. I think it's going to be the exact same show. I think like Pritchard's been involved. I think you're not going to see much change at all. Um, what he, he is now, I guess, under a bit of a microscope now because now he has this title, however much weight you want to put into the title of executive director he has now, that is attached to him. So if five, six months from now you're looking, you know, there's un- unrest and mm-hmm. there's got to be a scapegoat or someone, he, is, he to me would be the guy, the first guy in the line of fire if you've got to make a move to show that you're improving the show or there's a problem he becomes that that public target because that you've now positioned him to the public as the guy, even though that's probably really not fair. This is Vince McMahon, but Vince McMahon is not going to be put in front of a firing squad if uh, the audience numbers are terrible six months from now. Um, that's that's the role I see Bruce Pritchard in now. Yeah, we shall see. We shall see how uh, how these ratings continue for for Raw you- and SmackDown. Do you see any company taking a sniff at Eric Bischoff now? No, I not, not at all. I mean, unless we're talking about podcasting company, you know, maybe there's a uh, he was announced for Starcast already today, so I, I feel like there's maybe some you know continued role for him in that realm, but I don't necessarily see him being hired as as a creative or an executive type for a, an existing wrestling company. So, fr- from all indications, he did not have any kind of uh, no compete clause. So. I mean, it was a very late '90s kind of thinking that AEW could have put them put them on their TV tonight. I'm really glad they didn't. I, I'm glad that we're not going for the the silly shock value moment. And I, I don't know what an AEW really gets out of like they've got this solid vision. They've got their people in place. Why upset that? You don't need Eric to be playing an on screen authority figure because that's just that's not the time and place anymore. That's what they're so, running away from. I mean, you know, it would be interesting to consider, okay, let's say if it was Paul Heyman that was let go, would AEW consider it? Knowing that, you know, Paul yes. Heyman is a beloved figure for, for so many, I think, of their so much of their audience. That might be a potential, but like Eric Bischoff at this point, I think his reputation has been pretty, I, I would say, you know, um, not necessarily respected that much amongst like the hardcore wrestling fan base. Certainly for what he accomplished, yes. But I think for his current taste in professional wrestling, I think it 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 kind of goes against what AEW is trying to set up. You know, I wouldn't rule out like that happening in the future, perhaps, but I I certainly wouldn't expect it maybe as an immediate move. No, I, you know, Impact and these four months are not going to do him. You know, it, it doesn't enhance his legacy in any way or give a whole vote of confidence for someone to put him into a uh, a notable, powerful behind the scenes position. I would say because. You know, from all accounts, like he was, he was given a very lucrative job back in June and, and he's out and, you know, I'd be very curious to hear his side of things as well. And and what ultimately happened that led to this, because, you know, it's, it's pretty notable WWE, you know, there was no wish, wish him well in his future endeavors. Like this was not a, 
complimentary exit for Eric Bischoff, although you would certainly imagine he's being given some tremendous package on his way out of this, given, you know, he, you know, he, he, he moved from Wyoming for this job. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. All right. Um, let's move on a bunch of stuff to talk about. Did you get to see any of the new backstage show that debuted on Tuesday? I did. I did watch the show. Yeah. Okay. I, I did not see it. Uh, it did 597,000 viewers coming out of the ALCS game. Uh, I just saw a, a few little highlights, but what did you think of the show? It's a 60-minute show? Uh, yeah, I believe so. 60 to 40. I think I watched it without commercial, so it ended up being about 40-something. Right. But um, yeah, it was, I think, exactly what I expected from uh, maybe an FS1 presentation of a WWE show. I would say, you know, this was very much sort of a combination of, I think, your kickoff panel shows where you have Renee and Booker T being the lead hosts. And on this particular episode, you had Paige and Christian, I would assume in more of like a guest host role. And it's like four people on a panel talking about current events in WWE. Now, what what does separate it from, I would say, you know, typical WWE fair is that as, you know, maybe it was said to you, John, the fact that they would talk about topics that might surprise us. and that kind of existed in the form of them talking about Bruce Pritchard replacing Eric Bischoff right away. You know, this was obviously not a storyline thing that they've introduced on TV in the past. But here they mentioned breaking news, everybody. Uh, Eric, uh, or Bruce Pritchard is the new executive director of SmackDown. I don't believe there is mention made of Eric Bischoff. But just the fact that right. Bruce Pritchard is the executive director of SmackDown. And they went through the panel for their thoughts. And wouldn't you know it? Everybody was very complimentary about Bruce Pritchard and what his contributions are to the business. Um, so they, they should have put Bruce Pritchard on the show yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that certainly would have made a statement, you know. Uh, so you kind of you're not going to get like, in my opinion, any any sort of like level of analysis that, you know, for instance, somebody like Dave Meltzer or you, you would provide. And I don't think anybody's expecting that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like if you're going to tread, you know, in news and try to tread into hard news something more critical to me is expected and and i didn't get a sense that 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 was what they were aiming to do there were also like other segments you know this was where triple h of course announced the uh, blockbuster trade of alexa bliss and uh um nikki cross to smackdown for nothing for future considerate future draft picks is that what they said Future draft considerations, yes. Future draft considerations, whatever that means. Which, when is there ever going to be another draft again? Is Have they even established <laughs> that there's going to be a draft next year? I mean, so I guess... Essentially for nothing, for nothing. Yeah, like, it's amazing that that was the best that they could have come up with, but... So you get that, and... From, every- from my understanding, like, they were throwing around a bunch of... Like, there were other ideas. Uh, I think Bliss and Cross were going to be part of it, but... Obviously, they had bigger plans given how they like they had Jay Glazer promoting this like this was thrown out to be a big deal. And what a underwhelming final um, story it was with, you know, it was not even a real trade, not even like a trade. It's why why would you do this if you were raw if in storyline? It was a big groan, and, and, like, I could almost sense, like, even within Hunter, like, having to deliver this very disappointing news that he probably knew was going to not be very well received, that I, I you know, he didn't, in my opinion, didn't look that that excited to be to be breaking it. 
Um, you had segments like that. You have like a segment where you have legends talk about um, legendary matches. Uh, I believe it was like Sean and Sting talking about uh, Steamboat and Savage in this one. You also had, um, man, like a promo battle, like promo rating, like an, almost like an American Idol type of thing, but with promos. And I believe they had like a baseball player show up, cut a promo on Booker T, and then you had the judges give him a, a score. And these, man, <laughs> the What did I miss, Way? <laughs> it was painful, dude, like watching this particular segment. Because Renee gives a legit score. She gives like this dude six, okay? And like gives her critique about like what, what she felt was missing. Christian, Jesus, gave this dude a 17 out of 10 with, <laughs> with the justification that the set, the 10 was for showing up and 7 was his real score. It was fucking the, awful. It was painful. The 10 was for showing up. He didn't even say that. He like messed up. He said the 17 is for showing up and the 7 is my real score. So I love oh, Christian. Geez. I think he's great. I thought this was terrible. Um, Paige gave him like, God, I don't know, eight or something like like ridiculous like that. And then you had all of them cut promos at the end of the show to like people on Twitter that like were criticizing them. So you had Paige cut a promo on somebody like, um, I don't know, tweeting at her. And then you had Renee end the show with, with a promo of her own against a Twitter troll. So I, I did see Renee's because that was the clip they were really pushing a lot today on social media. You know, listen, I think if you're a casual wrestling fan or somebody who strictly loves everything that the WWE produces, if you're watching FS1 scrolling through, this might be a show that will catch your attention. Certainly as a vehicle to like expose the brand to a different audience, I think this is actually very valuable. You know, it's more time to like get people familiar with your with your characters it ends the show in sort of like a i don't know fun way um i certainly can't see cm punk being a part of this thing in its current incarnation and i don't even know if that's really going to be the case because booker seems to be you know have, have a bit of a permanent role there um but it's certainly i oh, don't but think... how's his math how's his math if he has to give someone a 17 out of 10 and break it down you know it's a very very good question i don't know um but uh it's not certainly the type of show that I I think is for me personally. Um, it's it might be for other people. Yeah, well, it's um, it will be interesting. It it officially starts November fifth, and this had as good a lead in as you were going to get with the with the baseball game that did over three point eight million people. Uh, you're not going to have that typical lead in for this show, so. I'm I'm not imagining 597,000 viewers to be the norm for this series. I think it's probably going to settle in uh, south of that. Um, so that's kind of the audience you're looking at for this this show. Uh, unless they get a CM Punk that for week one, I can see a lot of curiosity to see CM Punk on a WWE slash FS1 property bro broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to see how that would turn out. Uh, so Raw on Monday night, the draft show did 2,279,000 viewers. Uh, this was going against a the most watched Monday night football game of the year that did 13.3 million people. There was also a Major League Baseball playoff game going on. But, you know, the story of this was that the draft meant nothing. It was down from last week. And for those that want to point at football and baseball, yes, those are factors. But... 
this show, this draft started off with two and a half million people tuning in, which is a pretty good first hour for them. Like outside of that season premiere a couple of weeks ago, that's their best first hour since the NFL came back this year. And that dwindled down to 1,997,000 viewers in the third hour. So there was nothing uh, compelling people to stick around with this show. And it tells you like the draft, they really ran it into the ground this year. I I don't think this draft meant anything. Uh, Yeah. I think coming off of like Friday's interpretation of it, maybe a lot of people were already, you know, skeptical of what they would see on, on, on the Monday. I guess also interesting that, they went with the main event that they did, you know, uh, if, if there was any justification from the week prior that um, like the Lacey Natalia match did well, I guess it didn't necessarily follow through on the second week. No, no, I'm sure that was among the lowest watch just being uh, thrown into that, that third hour that very few stuck around for um, new Japan made some announcements uh, late Monday night. First of all, Power Struggle is going to be November 3rd, and our top matches for that show, Jay White, Hiroki Goto for the Intercontinental title, Kenta Tomohiro Ishii for the Never Openweight title, Tetsuya Naito versus Taichi, you're going to get your dream match way, and Kazuchika Okada and Yoshihashi taking on Kota Bushi and Hiroshi Tanahashi. So I guess the big thing on this show is whoever is the Intercontinental champion going into the Tokyo Dome and how they're going to set that up, in theory, having the double championship decided on the second night of the dome show and presumably mm-hmm. having the IC title defended on the first night. That's right. Yeah. Um, do you see a title change happening? I don't, I think that they're going all in with, with Jay white on this. So I think that white retains and then he's figured in pretty prominently um, maybe with Naito for the for the dome, if you go back to that. I don't know how they're going to weave in all these guys, like how they're going to do it, if it's going to be like they, they've just thrown so many names in there for this double champions deal that um, I, I am curious to see what they do um, and, and how they get out of it from, from this match with Jay White and Goto. Yeah, because we have several names uh, attached to, I think, that whole story, don't we? Between Jay White, Goto, Naito is there. Um uh, who else am I thinking about? That Tanahashi um, is is seems to be in the mix as well, and then of course Okada and um, Kota Ibushi. Tai Chi, Tai Chi as well. Oh, you're right. Damn, how could I forget? Tai, tai Chi said he's going to get, he's going to get what he's going to do what Naito failed to do. He's he's my pick. Uh, I saw a bit of the press conference too that took place in the evening, and I thought it was interesting how um, you know Okada like. In a contrast to everybody else, everybody's motivation seemingly is to become a double champ. Whereas Okada, as a champion, says he doesn't really care about the IC belt. You know, why would he want, um, I guess, a, bra- a silver medal when he's already got the gold? But he said he would be open to defending it on both nights. And I thought it was, whether or not he he truly, like, whatever that was meant to be, I thought it was great that he said that because I think it's great justification for a champion to feel that way. Um, they also announced uh, Jushin Thunder Liger's retirement week. So he's going to do an eight-man tag the first night at the Tokyo Dome on January 4th, teaming with uh, you know, his hero growing up and his, uh, one of his original trainers, Tatsumi Fujinami, the great Sasuke, and Tiger Mask with El Samurai in their corner. And their opponents are going to be uh, Naoki Sano, Shinjiro Otani, Tatsuhito, Tatsuhito Takeiwa, and Ryusuke Taguchi, and they're going to have Kuniaki Kobayashi 
in their corner. That will be followed by Liger's retirement match on January 5th that they have not announced an opponent for, and then a retirement ceremony at New Year's Dash on January 6th at Oda Ward Gymnasium. And the real breaking news way, you and I are going to be at all three of these. Yeah, shout out to Fraser. Shout out to WH Park for uh, helping us set this up. I'm really excited to be going, especially to that uh, retirement ceremony in, in that more intimate venue, or slightly more intimate venue, I suppose, um, in Sumo Hall. But, um, sorry, not Sumo Hall. Where, where is that Where is that uh, October 6th show, to, or January 6th Oda, show? Oda Ward Gymnasium. Right. Yeah, um, you know, I what, what do you think of this uh, retirement match, uh, at least on, on night one here, this eight-man tag featuring all of these legends from the past? Oh, what do I think about it? I think this is all for just nostalgia. I think the crowd, this to me is taking the place of kind of those surprise pops you get in the New Japan Rumble. I would much prefer seeing this, which I think will be treated with a lot of respect. It's going to mean a lot. And it's like the appetizer before the real match the next day with Liger. And I'm hoping January 6th, the retirement ceremony, Liger is out there. It's an emotional scene. And then Great Sasuke comes out and the two go out singing It's My Life. That would be the fucking best. That would be I amazing. might retire from wrestling at that point. Maybe that will be it for me. I'll be like, there's no topping this, so I'm done too. Liger and me both leave Oda Ward Gymnasium, and that's it for us. Our careers are over. I think uh it you know, it's interesting they're leaving that January fifth match, his true final match to be a surprise. Uh certainly they're for now, hinting, for now, they're hinting at loose ends with the Minoru Suzuki program. It's it's hard for me to really picture really anybody else at the moment. Um, but I'm curious to see who that person is. Super Liger, Chris Jericho. Well, I mean, there are rumors that he will be there, so why not? Um, we uh, we skipped over the uh, the WWE roster changes. I I don't know how many people even care, but. Uh, let me uh, just pull up the list here. They had their unsigned people. So we all figured, well, Cesaro, it's got to be a storyline. It's not. They just oh, threw God. them onto brands today. So, oh, that's so Raw, Raw has secured the services of No Way Jose, Mojo Raleigh, Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins, The Iconics, and Sarah Logan while dumping Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross for nothing. Meanwhile, SmackDown has got Luke Harper, Cesaro, Drake Maverick, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, and Dana Brooke. Listen, I I feel terrible for everybody here, but especially for oh. somebody who's like on the level of a Cesaro, and I would even say uh, Luke Harper and and Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville to be last picked. It sucks to be last picked. Most of us have felt that way in the schoolyard. And somebody like Cesaro is way too talented to be left here. Like, this was, if not for a storyline, like, I guess, I don't know. He wasn't even a part of this. Do you think, no, like, um, do you think that this signals the the one-month push for Luke Harper being over? He's split from Eric Rowan. I see him going right back to obscurity on SmackDown. I hope I'm wrong, but this really does not sound like a positive move forward for Luke Harper. Well, I would have said 24-7 champion, but we know our truth is on Raw, so... Um, I guess they our- they have separated our truth and Drake Maverick. They're on separate shows, right? Okay, so you know, is that a future storyline for him? That's somewhat interesting too. Um, I don't know, like whatever they're placing two hundred five live with, perhaps like they don't even have main event on on SmackDown. So, I, I'm not sure. Well, before we get out of here, uh, let's chat about NWA Power. 
episode two. Um, we're not going to go all, all the way through it here, but as a follow-up, I thought this one, you know, last week you had the novelty of here's this, here's this uh, present under the tree that you get to unwrap and see what it is. And now today or this week was Boxing Day where you've, you're playing with the toy, but it's 24 hours later. How did this toy perform on week two way? I'm still quite enamored with the toy. It has not lost its freshness to me after uh, one week. If anything, I found myself craving it more. I actually watched this after AEW Dark, and I found myself more excited and more engaged throughout this hour than I was with AEW Dark. I mean, if you're trying to compare the two. Um, I, 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 thought I, it- I only watched the, uh, the Janela match with, uh, with Omega. I didn't watch the whole thing. I, was, I, I just don't need a whole hour no. of AEW. Like, mm-hmm. if it's a hot match, I'm going to seek it out. But yeah, you're right. Like this to me is the easiest hour to watch of wrestling each week. Power. Yeah, and you know, I I was a fan of um the way they counted down the show because as you know, this starts at 6:05 on the YouTube. And that's why they have like a little highlight reel of all the great tweets, all the buzz that was out over the past week, just kind of really, you know, putting themselves over and giving you the sense that this was a talked about show, including, of course, a tweet from various wrestlers, including The Rock. So that's how it started off. Um, as uh, you know, Dave Legata mentioned in your interview, John, he's editing the the opening, like re-editing the opening every single time. Um, I guess I didn't really notice. Like, I guess every single week, it it features the performance that you're about to see, right? Right. Yeah. So that was something I I really loved. Like, you know seeing uh ricky starks and trevor murdoch trevor murdoch to me like uh, is a name that has fallen the face of, of the earth for me personally but i think is fucking perfect like feels feels like he belongs on this particular a, ba- show. a baked potato with arms and legs as jim Cornette. J- jim Cornette had some great lines throughout he's this. also perfect on this show like this show would not be as successful or as good without jim Cornette. um and i thought ricky starks really took that the opportunity to like come out onto the scene and like you know I thought to me he re- he really impressed on the microphone in ring. Like I I kind of look at him as at least at this point, you know, kind of like like a lot of other maybe like you know uh, people of a similar style. But on the microphone, he really stood out to me as something special. Yeah, he to me like represents like that that kind of uh, young upcoming talent, and you know a lot of these guys. It's like the matches are very quick. It's just more so to get some moves over to get like uh, a flavor of their style. But then the real main event is afterwards when they get to speak. And that's, Absolutely. that's what they're, that's what they're hanging their hat on. And it's different. And like the promos on this show were solid, like from Ricky Starks onward, like we had James storm out here and you had, um, you had a wide variety, like homicide and Eddie Kingston are such a great contrast to mm-hmm. everyone else. Like, Last week, we had the whole show build up to a title match. This week, the main event that they built up to throughout the whole show was a sit-down interview with Nick Aldis and what kind of questions Joe Galley was going to ask him. Like, that was what the whole show built itself around. It was An interview. Like, yeah, yeah. It was very simple, and I, I thought it was, I mean, you know, probably, like, felt very old school to just, like, center your hour about hearing what this person might have to say. And they teased it with like a TMZ style interview beforehand with Nick Aldis after the interview, showing out a sequence where he was simply not happy with the line of questioning. So it makes the story. I certainly have a lot of intrigue. I also want to comment on like 
you know these a lot of these post match promos and just like the 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 interviews at the desk they have a, like such a loose feel to them and I, I i mean that like specifically with something like Cole Cabana introducing Mr. Anderson who when they announced Mr. Anderson i was like ah oh, i still remember him from like impact my opinion of him like isn't all that strong but again like i think a setting like this coats everybody with the fresh paints everybody with a fresh coat of paint and I thought like he and Cabana for like the, the the brief interaction that they had, it felt really loose, and I thought it felt like, you know, interesting. Like they were finishing, or Cabana was finishing his catchphrases. You could tell it was just like a non-scripted kind of like interaction. And I felt the same way even about like Aaron Rex or what's his uh, man? What's what did they call him? Aaron yeah, Aaron Stevens. St- Aaron Stevens. Yeah, Aaron Stevens. Were like uh, when he came out, I was like a little bit shaky. Like. um I don't know how I feel about like all these kind of X WWE X TNA guys like showing up on, on, on this particular show. But when they started talking, I, I, I got the sense that I was seeing a different version of them than what I saw previously. So I'm at least interested to see what they have to offer. Yeah. I, I wanted to single out. I, I really thought Allison Kay mm-hmm. and Ashley Vox. I, I enjoyed this. Like, like th- there were no matches on here that I'd say you absolutely have to go see. It's more yeah. so the presentation, but Allison Kay, I thought she carried herself so well as the women's champion. Like I, I've mm-hmm. always seen a lot in whether she was Sienna or Allison K, but it really um, this setting worked for her. They got Ashley Vox over, and she got several near falls, but then ultimately she falls to the champion. And then the post match after, like it wasn't your screaming promo or anything from Allison K. She brought Ashley Vox over and pretty much explained that you've got a great future, but you're not. You're not ahead of me yet. And it got Vox over as someone to watch. But Allison Kay is your your top champion. And I thought she, um, I, I really thought that that came across very well. That was one of my favorite things on the show was that whole thing. I agree with you. Like, you know, seeing her speak and I think her presence on the microphone, you could tell why they wanted to put the belt on her. Um, she definitely felt like a, a leader. So I agree with you. I have to say, though. My favorite. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. My favorite. I know what thing you're on, gonna say. My favorite thing on this show, and I can't believe we <laughs> forgot to mention it in our first review of last week. They have commercial breaks in NWA yes. Power, and I don't know who's producing these, but they are making my week every single time one of these comes out. It's these like really like old, like cheaply produced local television ads starring like legendary wrestlers. And last week we had. Um, Austin Idol's wrestling school, which I'm I'm led to believe is an actual wrestling school. It is a real wrestling school. Um, but the way like these are edited is just like something out of Tim and Eric, something out of like Mr. Show, you know, as like campy and ridiculous and as entertaining as any of those things might produce. This week we had Tony Fox waffles and tire irons. Tony Fox <laughs> has become an expert while on the road in his th- career on two things: waffles. Entire irons, and he's opened up a brand new shop where he sells organic waffles and gold painted tire irons. Like, I'm not doing it justice, everybody. Like, at the very least, if you're gonna check anything out, check out these ads. Uh, I actually I wasn't crazy about the Austin Idol one last week because I I thought it was almost it was too campy for this show. And it almost made it too much like the the Southpaw regional wrestling. But it was a commercial. But, like, this is not... This I is... understand. I understand. I, I just... Like, it wasn't my favorite thing last week. This week, that it. Tony Falk ad, 
I just thought it was awesome. I loved it so much. I didn't know where this thing was going. He's got a tire iron. He's pushing waffles. And I I was a big fan this week. And I don't know what the big difference was, but it really worked for me this week. And, and last week, I... It, it it's right. It's like it's totally divorced it's from of, the from the it's, program. It's non-canon. It's like it's the place where you would like imagine popping in an old tape and seeing like classic commercials that you've totally forgotten about or never have never seen before. I feel like that's the mood that it it was going for, and it's it's sort of what what it's it's exactly what it provides. I feel it's also something where you could do this with a bunch of legends. And then oh, at the yeah. pay-per-view, it's like they're guests of honor or something, and you could actually do something where it's uh, focusing on some of these these names. And speaking of the pay-per-view, at the end of the show, they did uh, confirm that the pay-per-view will be called Into the Fire on Saturday, December 14th at 6.05 Eastern uh, in the, the same location in Atlanta. I think certainly in contention for best opening theme song uh, for a wrestling program this year is Dawkins, Into the Fire. Um, yeah. Really, it's, uh, really great, great pick. So there you go. That was NWA Power. A really fun episode this week uh, following up on last week's debut. Uh, anything else before we get on out of here? I think that's it for today. Uh, make sure everybody, again, uh, one more week left to get your entries in for our uh, Rwanda Dynamite theme song contest. You can make your entries at forum.postwrestling.com within the thread. We accept uh, entries via SoundCloud, uh, YouTube, wherever you can post your your songs for people to listen to. And if you haven't, check it out and give us your thoughts because uh, John and I aren't going to listen to them yet. And uh, but we're, we'd love to hear maybe your opinions. And uh, also, what else is coming up this week? Uh, I want to make mention of a few things. So up on the site today, uh, Des Delgadillo put out this awesome feature today on Gregory mm-hmm. Iron that if you want to go on over to the site, he did a really great job. He hung out with uh, Gregory, who's a wrestler that was diagnosed with cerebral palsy uh, very early in his life. And you're probably familiar with his work, but um, Des hung out with him for the whole day, spoke to uh, other people, uh, Joe Dombrowski, who's called his matches, as well as uh, Aaron Bauer, who now uh, works on him with uh, his new podcast. So you can check that feature out on the website as well. We've got Re- really well written. Des is a great writer. So thank you for uh, let, uh, sharing uh, sharing that with our space. Yeah, I'm really hopeful we can do more stuff uh, with Des down the road. He did a tremendous, tremendous job on that. Uh, as well, we are going to have a TNA Impact interview coming out on Friday from our own Andrew Thompson. And Thursday on the Cafe Hangout, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for all Cafe members. Uh, we're going to be going through all of the stuff from Wednesday. Wayne and I will share our thoughts on NXT. We're also going to be joined by... Corey Erdman, and we're going to be we scheduled to have Corey on to chat about the Tyson Fury angle in WWE, and we are going to talk about that. Um, but we're also going to discuss uh, a really terrible passing in the boxing world with a uh, boxer Patrick Day, who was uh, boxing on Saturday night at a card in Chicago and died on Wednesday as a result of being knocked out in that fight. And sadly, Corey was calling this fight on Saturday. So we will discuss this uh, with Corey as well because it's, it's a very pressing issue in the sports world. Uh, so Corey will be joining us on Thursday for that. And yeah, we uh, welcome everyone to call into the Cafe Hangout as well. So that is what's coming up in the near future along with Rewind to SmackDown on Friday. And until then, you can get caught up on all of the news at postwrestling.com.